Welcome, dear listener. Um, this is uh, Two and a Half Gamers podcast, and this time we are bringing a new segment, which is called an honest interviews. We are asking tough questions, but also having fun and dropping some knowledge with the industry. Cool people. They happen to be also a really uh, a big expert in the in the field. And today, it's a it's a pleasure to welcome Joachim Akren. Welcome, Joachim. Joachim. Thanks, Mate. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, this is this is amazing. This this is a, a new start of of our segment. So let's see what happens. <laughs> Definitely want to have a, a lot of fun, and I have some some really like burning questions that always come into my mind when everybody is talking about uh, investments. But uh, before we jump into everything, even though you are very well, very well known um, in the industry, could you just give us a, a little bit of a like brief intro about yourself? So we can uh, we can start with that. Yeah, yeah. So my background is that I started in gaming as a programmer, probably like over twenty years ago, um, nice. in the late nineties, and then gradually went that path of you know becoming a bit better at programming and getting better jobs. Uh, but then eventually, I wanted to do my own game studio. I wanted to. Because I, I think I had this kind of entrepreneur bug from early on as a as a kid, doing doing a lot of projects where I was creating software on my own, uh, and then that happened in two thousand five when I started my first game studio called Iron Star Helsinki, which did like a like a mobile virtual world for like Symbian Java phones very okay. early days. Uh, tried that for several years to, and it didn't work and then we pivoted to facebook games and that worked quite well for a while until facebook started asking everybody to buy ads and we didn't <laughs> know like how to do that profitably um, then ended up closing the studio and i went to supercell was there for the time when they went from Facebook to mobile to launch Clash of Clans heyday uh, left again to, to start the new studio uh, called Next Games in this was early 2013 nice. and and we raised a lot of money did an IPO 2017 I left 2019 I wanted to get out of like this crazy ride it was very <laughs> uh, I had like a burnout experience really? from that it was it was Oof. very intense uh, i just needed to do something else and i started elitegamedevelopers.com which is a website targeting uh, people who are trying to start a game studio yeah like every sorts of material that i could find i've been trying to put there uh, also newsletter uh, i have you wrote a book to, as well right yes a book nice. which came out two years ago called long-term game how to build a video games company uh, and then i have a podcast as well 138 episodes so far uh, with entrepreneurs and investors as guests and and also like i've been doing a lot of angel investing uh part of uh, play ventures the vc fund as a venture partner so there's a lot there yeah. I just love spending time with uh, games companies uh, and the founders and, and all the problems that they might have. 
Yeah, nice. Yeah, so I wanted to ask, like, why did you start the Elite Game Developers and uh, not a new gaming studio? But I guess you yeah. already answered that. So it was a, a in, really intense experience after just, you know, leaving the next games and uh, wanted to do something else, but still, like, re remain in the industry. Yeah, it felt like, for me, podcasts were something that felt really amazing uh, as a way to content uh, mm -hmm. create content. So I was... Uh, long time consumer of podcasts started listening to them probably 2009 2010 nice. and well, back then it wasn't wasn't a thing right <laughs> no it wasn't but there was a lot of entrepreneur podcasts already yeah. and they always felt like hey this is so interesting people are sharing what they're learning uh, what they've learned advice everything mm. Uh, but then I had to do next games and it, it <laughs> took a while to get back into like yeah. thinking about, hey, maybe I should do a podcast as well. I love the format. and But I also love just create content, uh, mm. what I like, things that I've experienced. That's why I, I, I just wrote the book like in, in two months. And then I had <laughs> uh, a person who helped me proofread it and edit it and then put it out and... Mm. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm actually spent last week and just working on the second book. Uh, oh, so can you uh, can you share a little bit more? Uh, it's about. Is it, is it a surprise? It's about team work. Oh, is no. a okay. the thematic, but like, I'm. I'm still figuring out like the scope of how mm. I want to approach this. Okay. Nice. Well, uh, uh, I definitely share um, the love for, for creating content, and uh, if it's a, if it's a blog or a podcast or whatever, just you know, sharing the experiences and the knowledge to to other um, people from the industry. That, that's super powerful, and I mean, you know, you you have that really powerful thing going on in Finland. It's not that common, like anywhere in the world, honestly, that like, you know, people openly share every, everything here in Slovakia, even though it's like five uh, game developers here, uh, they definitely don't share as much as they should. And uh, that's what I've been, uh, you know, seeing around as soon as I started like <laughs> bringing numbers to the actual presentations, everybody was like, oh, wow, we've never seen this before. It's like, yeah. How is that even possible? Come on, <laughs> we, yeah. we are here to share. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. In, a, in a way, the Finnish, Finnish mentality is kind of like, if you think about the spectrum of naivety, like we are okay. super naive. <laughs> like, <laughs> we just share. We don't really understand if we should be or not sharing. We're just naive and it's fun. But, you know, like that, that's the thing. Like even if you share some, some data or anything that you experience and... Uh, you can learn from it, but you will, even though you do it exactly the same thing, you will have very different, uh, you know, process, experience, everything. It just won't work exactly the same for you as uh, it did for me. That's the thing. Mm. Yeah, it's it's the background, everything, everything relates to everything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you mentioned also um, you are a part of the Play Ventures um, company, and I know you just. Well, not just, but you became a partner. Like uh, it's a it's a recent thing. So how how can you just become a partner at uh, the VC VC company? I was actually talking with them when I was leaving Next Games that this is something oh. I would really want to do, like getting into to investing. Mm -hmm. uh, it felt like a, a great way for me to be involved with gaming startups. Um, yeah. 
I think like the the whole process went that way that I started doing angel investing. Mm. I started writing about like what I'm thinking about startups, uh, how to help startups, what kind of help do they actually need, where do they need structure, things like mm. that. So just putting out a lot of things that I'm thinking about. And I actually got like contacted by several funds. This was oh. um, 2020 like late 2020 to, mm-hmm. to join as a venture partner, which is kind of like a part-time role uh, where you're not full-time, but you're kind of one leg <laughs> in the okay. VC world <laughs> already. <laughs> um, and, and that felt like the right choice for me uh, as I'm still figuring things out. Mm-hmm. So the the options led me to pick Play Ventures yeah, okay. because it, it was kind of the best fit yeah. uh, regarding like how they think about gaming, how they think about startups. Uh, and also I knew the guys from way back in the Finnish industry. So it was a privilege to get to work with them. Nice. Are there any any like, um, you know, skills or requirements that you that someone need to have in order to be a, like a, a good venture partner or like, a, like you said, one leg part-time uh, VC uh, partner? Because mm. it's uh, it's definitely not an easy job. That's uh, something I can tell, even though I've never done it before. <laughs> yeah, I, I think being an entrepreneur is one way to approach becoming a, a VC. Uh, it's just going through that path and seeing what happens there and experience. Because like applying the money to startups that VCs mm. do is like just 1% of what you can add to a company. The 99% is... Uh, navigating all sorts of troubles mm-hmm. with the founders uh, that come up, the problems, everything that's internal, external, everything. Uh, and if you have been seeing things like that happening in your previous career, mm-hmm. it if you can help and apply that knowledge, uh, I think that's one way to get into VCs, just okay. you know, be that kind of person. Yeah, nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, it's an interesting, uh, well, definitely interesting. Uh, let's say job position. Um, well, maybe I can, I can put it into my uh, bucket list for uh, later stages in my life. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe it's. There's many other ways you can approach becoming a VC. Like other ways to just you know be fanatical about like where the market is going mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, being this kind of like seer of how mm-hmm. markets are changing and then you know coming in to actually give that advice to the VC portfolio companies but I, I think it is always like hey what can you actually bring to the table after yeah, the, yeah. the cash has been put into this startup so yeah yeah and what exactly can uh, can you bring into the table I mean like uh, you are just uh, becoming a like best friend with the CEOs or um, like how does that work yeah, it's it's there's different kind of roles. Like mm-hmm. you can be a, a board member where there's like official board meetings where you're meeting uh, once a month, twice mm-hmm. uh, every second month. Uh, having having that kind of role, or you can have a lesser role where it is uh, weekly, bi-weekly catch-up calls, uh, like just getting getting to help the founders yeah. in what their okay. problems are. 
Okay, so I guess okay, so that's that's how your LinkedIn is able to be full of uh, being an investor and then board member in uh, like multiple companies, right? Yeah. So, okay, nice. Yeah, it's it's kind of you don't necessarily spend time with the mm-hmm. companies doing the actual work, but you take up sessions where they need help and where you mm-hmm. can help out. And then do you actively approach uh, the companies or they they do it? Like, you know, like, so for example, CEO just, you know, see some kind of problem within the within the, the team and then they just approach you or you, you are trying to be, you know, proactive and try to see the problem before it actually happens? Um, it It's both, actually, okay. uh, I would say that there's some proactivity that I've applied when I'm helping founders. But then there's a lot of these situations that aren't really evident until Mm -hmm. the founder brings them up. Okay. Um, So yeah, it it really depends. I I think one of those areas which are interesting is like when you need to raise another round, uh, that's like the earlier, the better usually is the... Mm -hmm the way to approach that and it's not evident to founders who often more than not are sensitive about diluting their ownership mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. when you when you raise more money you need to give out more equity to investors but the investors know that the the cash that you're getting into the company is always also putting the company to the next level mm-hmm. so the the quicker you can go to the next level, the better with these these uh, venture-backed companies, because then it means that there's there's maybe even an exit coming in the future, and the companies as well doing much better versus like they're they're using their twelve to eighteen months runway, and then like if that happens only in eighteen months, it's gonna be very problematic and it's going to be less easy to get the right terms and everything so it's it's tricky yeah okay and uh, just uh, maybe a quick uh, quick question about like could you explain what like the pre-seed seed and series a and series b c whatever uh, actually means like how do you define those uh, those stages Mm. yeah the pre-seed is the first money usually in from a like VC or angel investors where the the amount would be like few hundred thousand to mm. to a million in that range um, or even two million is now mm-hmm. nowadays still said it's pre-seed uh, so it's the area where you don't yet have any anything happening in the business mm-hmm. that would yeah. say that hey we're gonna <laughs> this is gonna be big okay um, yeah. Uh, or there's no evidence of that besides the team and the mm-hmm. idea uh, and maybe some prototypes or something. But then like you go from there uh, to the next stage where you're graduating is that you have, if you're talking about the game studio that is mm-hmm. raising raising funding, it is that you're going from that idea stage to actually having executed uh, some some part of the the, mm. the, the project to a place where you can show that things are working, that we've progressed and maybe there's KPIs already, um, some early indicators, and then you're raising that seed 
round, which is the next stage of like depending where you are at, but like a few million uh, to actually go through to the stage where you show that, okay, this is going to work and this is going to be a big, big business when this game goes into global. So even with the seed funding, you are not going to be scaling the business, meaning that you're not going to be hiring a lot of people but you're not also going to be spending a lot into user acquisition or into other marketing activities. So then that stage, this is just, of course, like an optimal way of approaching yeah, things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then it's never yeah. usually this way, like strictly. <laughs> and then, yeah. then, then you get to that A, B, C, D, whatever. Yeah. That, that means that you're growing something that works. Um, you've kind of with the series a you're already shown that it works and this business is going to work okay. uh, like you know 30 percent likely that it will work there's still two-thirds <laughs> that it <laughs> yeah. won't um but yeah it's it kind of works that way and each each stage becomes more likely that the company will become huge and successful and uh, that's why the valuation also goes up because it's more valuable to come yeah. uh, into the company later. Okay, so what you're saying is that in in the pre-seed um, stage, you're basically looking at the team mainly as a as a KPI. Yeah. And uh, in the in the seed, more about like a MVP of the game, right? And like the first uh, playable. And yep. then if that works, then um, you are uh, looking at uh, the long-term plan of how to scale or grow the company and the game. Yes. Okay. 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 So uh, so we talked about the, the K- different KPIs in the different stages. And there's the question is then, like, how do you actually, you know, decide to invest in companies? Like, what is your due diligence process? Mm. Because obviously good. it's not that easy to just, you know, deploy some money into, into the gaming company. And if it's a, if it's a like unknown company or like there is a couple of just, you know, dudes uh, starting their own <laughs> small studio, like how do you, how do you go about that? Yeah, it's constantly evolving. I'm like, I think I'm mostly spending time trying to figure out what the founders want to actually do nowadays like what is yeah, okay what is what do they want to actually do with the company like why do they believe that their product is a good idea uh, how do they believe that they can execute and build something amazing um, and also talk about the, how much they know about uh, capital allocation mm-hmm. kind of if you raise now like one million like do you know already what you need to do in mm-hmm. the next uh 12 months if all goes well what do you need to do after that in the next 12 okay. months and after that um, so i'm just trying to figure out how knowledgeable they already are about what they need what they need to do if they're doing a game studio um and it's fine if they don't know all the, the yeah, questions. That, that, I think that was my next question. I think it's well. it's it's great if they say that they don't understand. Like okay. if they admit versus they they come okay. up with something. Uh, yeah, and they pretend. Okay, so we 
we definitely yes. know what we are going to do what but they they don't know mm. but then <laughs> then there's some good things there as well so it really depends on so many context uh related things so it's kind of hard to say like what i'm looking at but maybe one thing that i am looking at is red flags yeah because okay. <laughs> like i ask a hundred questions and i want to discover the red flags that mm-hmm. come up organically uh sometimes they just come out uh when i'm asking something they say something that really like points out that oh this like that yeah. sounds like problem later on <laughs> like it's it's quite like you're interviewing somebody for a job because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you you want them to be um kind of good for the the thing mm-hmm. that they're they're signing up for which yeah. is to run a venture-backed company <laughs> and uh and that's the job uh, so then then the job has a lot of nuances um like what i really like about founders if they're very uh not ego driven um uh, mm. so that they're they're kind of they want to build this company because it feels like it needs to exist and not that hey i need to be a founder because i always wanted to be yeah. a founder <laughs> so that's not a good motivation to actually do a company um, yeah do you have like any red flags that you could point out that okay so if you see uh this i don't know whatever okay so we have one million we are going to buy lambos for it but yeah yeah <laughs> that's a, up, obviously but. yeah something like that where the founder has a side business that mm. they will continue <laughs> like okay uh you, you cannot know, you, you also said i think in uh in interviews that our or even in the newsletter that you know like all the, the founders need to have like something on the side i know you mentioned like blogging and writing and doing the podcast but you know what what's the difference between the side business and like doing this for you know basically free uh that's also uh, something to keep your mind uh pretty yeah. much uh, oh, yeah I, busy yeah i i have this article which talks about the side project Mm, Uh, i think to a limit it makes sense like writing as a founder is very important because it Mm. brings your you get to process your thoughts yeah into writing so putting up like releasing Mm. a blog for instance is excellent for any founder who should think about that Mm. um because that's communication also towards your team and yeah, your okay. organization, your investors, everything, future investors. Um, it's also like, it's about communication, but it's also kind of marketing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, about the style of communication as well, like wh- how you write uh, and if, if it's also something that everybody can understand quite quickly and not too complicated. Mm-hmm. Okay, I get it. Yeah, I think podcast isn't a good thing for a founder, to be honest, <laughs> because it's because uh, it's then you're you're the journalist and not yeah. the creator yeah, in a sense. Probably like too exposed to a lot of uh, a lot of people, and not everybody is obviously a fan of podcast. And then sometimes you say something stupid, and you never know who is going to process that and how. That's mm-hmm. true. It That's it's true. it comes from a different different reasoning it's mm. already like a, a business of its own versus what mm. the writing can be mm, okay but how, like why is that the, like the business problem and writing as a you know non-profit um activity not a problem mm. 
there's a certain amount of time that you can allocate mm. to work in a day, which is like mm. healthy. Mm-hmm. And like, I would want you to lo- work five hours and nothing else. <laughs> and that yeah. would be healthy. And if you can spend that five hours on the startup, that's great. And the rest of time with your family, uh, loved ones, friends, everything yeah. that helps you recover for the next five hours the following day. Uh, so include that writing into like a way of mm. processing your work. That's great. But if you start doing like a podcast, uh, whatever kind of media business <laughs> next to next to your startup, then like that's dangerous. Okay. Yeah, it it can be uh, a little bit overwhelming if you if you do a lot of stuff. It was a time when I was um, having a, like a definitely more um, projects than I I would need, let's say that way, because I was like, okay, so let's uh, let's try to get as many things done as possible, and then I I found out like, okay, so this is probably like too much. <laughs> it's like, mm, yeah, yeah, let's let's not do that anymore. And, and in that case, I always you know try to have like two or three projects buffer and don't work on the full capacity like anymore mm. <laughs> and ever will be because uh, yeah a, i want to spend the time with my family and i just want to work as, as you said like a couple of hours a day like six maximum eight hours a day and then everything else is just going to to family and focusing uh, on on the, re- the relationship i can have with my daughter and my wife and uh, the rest of the family as well yeah yeah that's really true yeah okay okay uh interesting interesting and uh so there is, uh, you you mentioned I think uh, well I, on Twitter and on LinkedIn as well. Like now is the time, the best time to start a, a gaming company. Like why, mm. why now is the you know never been a better time to start a gaming company? Well, there's few reasons. Uh, I think there's never been this much capital outside <laughs> from outside investors available. Like if you just look at the the recent fund, VC yeah. fund announcements, the <laughs> Griffin Gaming Partners, uh, Makers, Makers Fund, Fund well. yeah. uh, A16Z, yeah. and there's there's more for sure coming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like just like think three years ago, there was yeah, true. so less amount of VC funds doing gaming. Mm. Like five years ago, even less. Mm. Uh, so this all happened so quickly. So in the grand scheme of like 20, 40 years of games industry. Now, the last few years has been super great. Of course, it might get better and better, but it's never been as good as now. Yeah. And also we're getting so much more sophisticated as an industry where there's more companies that have gone public in the gaming sector, like deep from different geographical mm-hmm. uh, like locations as well. So there's more more knowledge about like how do we how do we grow companies like big game studios uh, then like also the exit possibilities are mm-hmm. more numerous than before like consolidation by these like embracers whatnot yeah. who are buying <laughs> studios so it's like that path from thinking about starting a studio if you're capable in making games it's kind of a no-brainer to mm. not try it because it's such a an interesting uh, time to to do in like spend time in your life just thinking yeah. about how do I do a business. Okay, 
Okay, so hypothetical question. So I want to start a gaming studio, and um, in the, well, you said there is no no better time than now. But I still have like some some money and some cash left from my my previous uh, companies and jobs. Let's say half a million. So what should what should I do? Should I do you know should I use this money and and bootstrap the the company or should I get an investor you know just in case I would need more money? Like I know there's yeah. probably no like one answer to this, but I would yes. I would definitely <laughs> want to hear more more thoughts. Yeah, there's a probably a very contrarian uh, advice for this, which would be that look for people who want to be founders and give them equity uh, instead of salary. Uh, find people who want to do that kind of project. Um, mm. At least start off with that uh, for, let's say, six months, uh, where most of the work doesn't go into, hey, let's code this prototype, let's you know try out quickly some game concepts, but rather sit down and talk about what kind of company you want to build and read these books that uh, that give you insight into company building because like most of the time the companies that I'm looking at don't have people who've done games companies before. Mm-hmm. I would say 85% of the, the companies that I'm working with uh, are first-time founders, mm-hmm. um, which means that they don't have the experience of doing a company before. But if you if you read books like Good to Great uh, from Jim yeah. Collins, and there's My a bunch of... Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a bunch of other similar great books. Now I'm, I'm reading this uh, Why Startups Fail, which is by a professor from Harvard Business School. Uh, it's a really new book that came out, I think, last, last year. Nice. Um, like those kind of books really give you that insight of okay, this is what I'm going to be expecting from this job of being mm-hmm. an entrepreneur, and that helps you already like get past one point where you're gonna be surprised about <laughs> issues because there's gonna be so many problems coming up that will surprise you, and also in a negative way surprise you, like mm-hmm. let you down in a way. So getting used to what are the common problems helps a lot for somebody even though you would have the cash you would have the money to Mm. to start prototyping testing doing stuff uh i think having that discussion is great because then you build a foundation that you can build a company on um and then you can think about like do you do we start spending the money that we have do we raise money what we do okay yeah, I definitely um, believe uh, like people are the cornerstone of all the companies, and if you have the right people on, in the right seats, then uh, everything is possible, basically. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it just takes time and dedication, I would say. And then, uh, yeah, there's a like it. It feels often with these game studios is that they're so anxious to do the company that spending six months trying to find even better co-founders is something that they're not willing to do because they're so anxious to do the studio uh, as soon as possible (laughs) yes i think that that would that would already like if you're thinking about first-time founders raising from venture capital Mm. uh, if i would see a company where the team has spent two years or a year 
planning, putting together the team, and now they have a few ideas that they're going yeah. to be approaching. That would already be very different from what I get pitched usually, mm. and that would really like <laughs> open my eyes. That, okay, like this, these, these people are really thinking about how to approach this company thing. Yeah, and uh, and you know, uh, going to uh, a slightly different topic uh, nowadays, all the hype around uh, the crypto and and, and the web web three. Like why do you think um, a lot of comp- gaming companies with some like decent results or mediocre results uh, trying to pivot quickly to to the Web three? Uh, is it mm. like because of the technology or, or free money from investors or <laughs> the train is already yeah. gone? <laughs> yeah, Web three craziness is ongoing <laughs> for sure. There's so much interest there. Like now we saw this. Uh, uh, Board Ape Yacht pl- Club uh, raising this yeah, 450, 450 yeah yes <laughs> and they're God. gonna build a metaverse with that IP ah, uh, everything course. yeah and all the you know buzzwords like land and everything is yeah. there and <laughs> and like if you look at their numbers like they made 130 million in revenue last mm. year and their profit was 120 so it's pretty <laughs> yeah. uh, amazing how good the margins can be in this web tree which definitely is interesting i think there's the problems here are quite similar to what were in the the late 90s uh internet bubble Mm. where there's everybody who can code something in crypto can get funding like you know you could code a website you could get funding um there's something some of that happening, uh, you have an NFT project and everybody yeah. throws money into NFTs. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how sustainable that is, to be honest. Like it's like there's yeah. when we're coming from gaming, I think virtual goods is something that we're so used to seeing, having utility, yeah. having long term value. Uh, but like most of this industry that is coming to NFTs is not coming from that kind of background where yeah. they've they've seen value in virtual assets. They've suddenly seen that the profile picture can be worth two million. <laughs> and that's, um, it's kind of the analogous to, to virtual goods in gaming. There's more in gaming than what these profile pictures currently can offer. And that's why they are all expanding into these land projects into these metaverse projects yeah. whatever ugc yeah. because there, there's a there is definitely like what is next yeah you, like how many pictures of monkeys can you really sell, sell until it becomes too old um yeah <laughs> so like that i think with gaming like if you know and if you study and if you really pay attention to to what crypto is providing and also spend some time in the decentralized finance, um, you know, do some yield farming, whatnot, kind of participate in those activities. Uh, it, it will tell you a lot more what is it, what it is all about, because I, I think the whole Web3 is so much about just uh, belief that there is wealth, uh, there's, there's value in these virtual assets uh, because they are on the blockchain. And because enough people, like millions, hundreds of millions of people, believe in that value, um, 
it's kind of hard to to let go it's kind of like like you know there's there's the dollar us dollar there's billions of people who believe that there's value in that as well (laughs) so it's not too different from that and um and if you have a game that has virtual goods people already believe in their value like you have a roster in an rpg game of great characters and gear uh, and if those would be on the blockchain and you had something that is very scarce in in the game it would have value uh, it would have meaning uh, so yeah smart okay. teams smart teams will win in, smart. in, in web3 okay so smart teams okay 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 yeah I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely a huge opportunity, of course, uh, to jump on the on, j- jump on board and, and try to um, create something quickly. And, uh, and obviously last year was all about raising the, the money. And uh, yeah, like you said, there were just some of the buzzwords like uh, Web3, Metaverse, uh, what else, UGC, NFTs. And if you had all of these in the pitch deck, then everybody was throwing money at you. But now, like, yeah, that, you know, sorry, buddy. <laughs> That's already yeah. already gone now. Everybody's looking at how you can actually build games with a proper economy that can have a, like, crypto or, like, Web3, well, crypto layer on top of it and not, like, starting with crypto and then uh, try to duct tape the game around <laughs> around that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what the the ape uh, board ape Yacht club did it's like they released the ape versus mutants uh, game which is an archer clone there is no monetization nothing and they just you know they released it and said oh this is the game uh, where you can just have your ape um, as an nft and then play with it nothing else so yep. now it's like why, why like there is no value added in this game really mm. yeah <laughs> yep yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think like the the existing things. Like the cool thing about gaming is always when these new platforms emerges, you can transfer a lot of the knowledge from the previous platforms mm-hmm. to the next. Uh, so it's a strength for the games industry, which kind of you you pull in people and the people stick there because the knowledge is always valuable, mm-hmm. uh, and. Like it's cool that new technologies when they emerge, gaming is sort of the first thing that yeah. gets adapted with these new new technologies. So, um, yeah, that's why I, I think the industry will continue growing and growing. And um, yeah, Web three feels like it's just one of the new platforms getting really good adoption. Uh, also, I, I would say the the money is there, like with the margins that we can see. So. Mm. Yeah, investors need to be getting burnt a bit uh, with the projects yeah, the, that don't work. So yeah, yeah. Because how how do you do the due diligence for uh, for these type of you know companies and games? I mean, there is no data yet. So is it like driven yeah. more by the you know team again, or like feeling, or like okay, so you know this is a huge opportunity, but I still know like a lot of uh, games will die eventually but what if there is this one percent of of games that i invest in that will become a a huge hits Mm. yeah i I look at the linkedin of the founders often like of these projects the problem is that these projects usually don't have 
like they have a team slide that doesn't have real names of people so it's very <laughs> hard to do the <laughs> due diligence yeah. on the, the founders like who are they actually um yeah that's that's a huge thing in 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 blockchains i i work with one uh one guy and one company and they're like so why do you use uh, like a very different name like oh well you know that's that's the thing in the in the crypto you will you will uh <laughs> you will understand <laughs> afterwards yeah. like aha okay well yeah. all right yes. then what do i know <laughs> yeah yeah uh, in in these like all uh like is um you know important like the the token allocation like pre-drop or like how how does that uh, that work yeah i've been thinking about that a lot as well and i think it doesn't really like is it an nft drop token Mm. sale whatnot like you're you're putting out some sorts of uh crypto assets assets that are on the blockchain uh, that have perceived value in future uh, earnings which could be um, airdrops that come in where you get more nfts because you are uh, an owner and they have a tradable value as the project starts scaling and it, you can sell them uh, for for you know stable coins and then cash out if you want into the real money so yeah i, I think all the projects are doing what they should be doing because the model works really well where you have this kind of public market that is willing to to trade assets quite quickly for these projects and i don't think that's necessarily going to go away because it feels more like pre-seed investing or angel investing in a way it's still like with the tokens and uh and coins it's uh it's a bit tricky i would say you know for uh for the the regular stock it can take like what ten years to to get some some money, um, but in in terms of the even tokens or, or coins, as soon as the, uh, the the drop takes place, like you can just pump and dump everything, and then adios. Yeah. <laughs> yes, which happened with the with the ape coin basically. So they started on like thirty or forty dollars, and everybody who just received an airdrop of these these coins like started selling immediately because you know <laughs> why not and then the price dropped to like four dollars or something so yeah. this is kind of dangerous right yeah yeah i think there's mechanics there that we could think about like vesting for instance mm. that mm-hmm. you cannot like release everything immediately um, yeah the dynamics are are quite similar i would say from from public market when you think about it um, okay like you know an, a stock is appreciated or overvalued and suddenly the market realizes that that is true uh, <laughs> and it wasn't uh, it was uncertain but then it's like 100 percent true uh, and you start selling it um like what yeah. like a- airdrops are interesting because they're they're kind of like bonus rewards yeah. that come um, so like better airdrops, something that people don't want to sell because the, the current utility uh, isn't yet utilized yeah. and it will be at a later stage in future. Um, yeah, there's, there's yeah, a lot the of interesting artifact, stuff. Uh, artifact company, they, um, they were acquired uh, by Nike, I think. Nike yeah. and uh, and they did a really interesting airdrop, uh, basically uh, dropping a monolith, and that uh, monolith started 
to be what I think selling around like 30k or something but they said so if you if you actually hold it for a long period of time it's it's gonna get unlocked and you can get the rare item which can have <laughs> even higher <laughs> price or, or value and everyone who actually holds the, the monolith they um, it can get a little like uh, more extra bonuses in the in the future yeah which prevented obviously like for, for from selling a lot of uh, a lot of these monoliths uh, so that can be yeah that can be one mechanic how to prevent these pump, pump and dumps <laughs> yeah and of course like also like setting expectations mm. that like hey we're gonna release this at 40 dollars, but we know that it's gonna go to like 100 <laughs> percent less of that uh, that it's just an expectation yeah. that this will happen that it's not a surprise to anybody like mm. when you know you're giving your team as well these coins as yeah. a bonus and and things like that the team gets pretty demoralized yeah. uh, if if their bonus of uh, ten thousand ape coins went to hundred ape coins but yeah exactly <laughs> but if if you if you just know that that will happen if you if you level that with your team that this this is definitely what will happen um, that's much better if you can model out like what you believe will happen in the market when you when you do these airdrops when you put out these uh, item uh, assets that can be traded so i yeah. think that's also like part of the the reason why like if you think about the gaming industry stock that went up when the pandemic hit mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. like all the yeah the the publicly traded games companies started going up and then there's a correction uh last fall 2021 when everything started gradually going down and it still continues uh, if the companies would have internally discussed with their teams that hey this is most likely going to happen during the pandemic that yeah. there will be a correction and we go back to pre-pandemic uh, I, I think that sets kind of expectations also mm. like what is going on that we're overvalued or the dynamics of the market don't yet support like higher like mm. high enough multiples for game studios uh, or companies um so yeah <laughs> i think there's there's so much there about just setting the right expectations yeah that, that that's 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 really important and um i know you uh you mentioned it at the beginning and then obviously i'm a part of the, the syndicate as well but you know uh can you tell tell me a little bit more about like why you you started uh, the syndicate and and then there's the connected question because I know I again read somewhere you, you mentioned that you know having only one line on the cap table is is way better than like having the, like twenty names in there like why why is that? Yeah, so the angel syndicate that I have it's a group of close to hundred and seventy people now on a Slack nice. uh, workspace where where i've where i where i started with this was that i i wanted to get into like allocating other people's money into the deals that i was seeing because there was so many cool stuff startups mm. coming up constantly and i didn't want to raise a fund um, and also i didn't want to go full-time vc yeah. <laughs> so what was the model uh, the model was angel syndicate so i was mm reading this book from Jason Calacanis, who's the, 
he has this podcast which is huge now called All In Podcast. Um, mm-hmm. He he wrote a book four years ago called Angel um, because he was a he started doing angel investing like late two thousand like two thousand eight two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. He was in Uber. Um, and he made like 120 million with his Uber angel investment. And the book kind of like goes into like what he's learned in the 10 years of doing angel investing. And one of the things was the syndicate that he, he runs called Jason Syndicate. Uh, it's, it's an ongoing thing and you can join that as well nowadays. Um, so I th- thought about that model. How could I do that? And I started like asking people there's a Finnish angel a business angel network and I, I asked like tips for how to set up a syndicate mm-hmm. and the legal structure like tips that I got were for setting up a holding company structure in Finland did that for a while with the group um, and it was very very cumbersome <laughs> like there's so much legality in Finland yeah. regarding all sorts of reporting and everything. So now I've been recently doing a lot of this stuff in the UK with the mm-hmm. Cindy, like these special purpose vehicle providers there. Uh, it's much more effective mm-hmm. where they take a lot of the work uh, and, and reporting as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah the, yeah, the motivation was to actually start trying to allocate other people's money and learn from that uh, to be a, manager of money mm-hmm. okay but and yeah then, your question about the 40 then, people on the cap yeah, table and then there is the the, yeah, the other part of the question like why why is that the, like why is that the difference uh from the uh from the one, like one yeah, yeah well like you have yeah you have one syndicate uh, instead of like 20 people on the cap table as an angels yeah there's there's definitely the the benefit of any future investor looking at the cap table and seeing like who are the owners mm-hmm. in the company uh, when you have a syndicate group it sort of means that there's some structure behind this group mm-hmm. where the decision making is more centralized versus 40 people where the decision making isn't oh, okay. at all centralized <laughs> <laughs> it's decentralized yeah um which in a in a bad way um, often for making uh, shareholder decisions. Um, that's one. Um, then the other thing is like if you're raising another funding round, um, you can just ask the, the syndicate lead mm-hmm. for like, hey, are you going to participate in this round with your syndicate mm-hmm. versus going to 40 people and yeah, asking, okay. are you all going to, you know, participate in the new round and then you need to start uh, organizing that um so it's okay. there's tricky things okay there. how do you how do you um, like uh, find companies for the for the syndicate is it just uh you know uh, opening up linkedin and your messages <laughs> that i guess you are getting millions of them or is it just uh, you know uh, uh, like inner circle somewhere in uh, in between the vc companies yeah, um, probably half of them come through friends mm. uh, who introduce me to them. Um, yeah. And the other half is quite organic that people reach out. Um, 
I think it's even higher, like how mm. much the, of the deals that happen come through friends. So probably two thirds come from mm. mutual contacts. And then the the last third comes from uh, just organically looking at LinkedIn and seeing somebody yeah. saying, hey, I'm going on this startup adventure uh, or I'm going to do something else next but i won't tell you what and then i just ping them and ask <laughs> uh, this is how things happened actually with one of the the companies that i invested in uh, uh, which which was really interesting because the the founder ceo just messaged on or sent a linkedin post that he's he's leaving king and he's he's nice. uh, doing stuff and then it escalated to an investment because yeah. i just asked him if he's doing a startup nice uh, yeah <laughs> and that's happened several times in the other context as well yeah i know eric suford also mentioned mentioned this uh he's just you know uh, looking at the linkedin and uh, trying to see who is leaving what company and then uh, offering them um, like a startup money yeah because that's <laughs> okay but that's that's an interesting strategy yeah <laughs> It, it feels like it works. Sure. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, so I have a um, couple more questions, and uh, and this one is um, is really about like the the UA because I know, and I've been hearing this for for some time. Like uh, every time there is an investment going on, like you know, investors are really keen um, for the companies to have like internal UA UA people. So like, why why is that? Like, is it because well, no, why is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think there's there's an aspect of like if the company is already at the st seed stage where the next stage is then to start scaling i think the the money that you're raising at the seed stage should be there should be an allocation for thinking about building a team that will take care of uh, user acquisition and this is for free-to-play uh, studios so yeah, like yeah, yeah. Like, you know, there's there's going to be optimization, or there's going to be A-B testing, there's going to be creatives that will be tested, like making yeah, those creatives, yeah. changing those creatives, like trying different, you know, yeah. cuts out of those creatives. So it's like somebody on top of that stuff, uh, I think you want to have that in-house, at least in the seed stage uh, mm -hmm. afterwards, like the seed happens, so... Yeah, I I think it's like the earlier you go to pre-seed, yeah, it doesn't matter really because you then then you can do a lot of external stuff. But like after seed, yes, mm -hmm. definitely. Everything, yeah, everything should be internal. Uh, okay, I mean, I guess uh, it definitely um, adds value to the company a little bit when you have a like a well, senior UA person uh, in house. But you know, also. Even if you have an internal internal team, everything can change, and you know that can leave. <laughs> so you know, it's uh, it's also a bit tricky these days when the remote work is uh, is pretty much common thing. You can have and you can work uh, with a lot of companies uh, from different parts of the world, and you know, it's uh, yeah, it's tricky. But mm. I, I I totally understand. Yeah. I totally understand. And um, and there is like one 
tricky question. So if you can discuss anything, uh, you know, like an anti-portfolio, like if, if you have mm. like a biggest regret that you've done in the past or like any failure that happened that, you know, you can, you can share, obviously, if you can, then it's okay. Mm. Yeah, because I, I haven't invest, been investing for more than three years. And the only company that I could have possibly invested in is reworks if i would have been looking at <laughs> companies immediately when yeah. i started but i wasn't really like actively doing that process um, mm. and i don't know if i would have gotten the chance to invest to be honest uh, i don't know the founders that yeah. well um, so I, I would say like i'm probably going to be more educated on this area in two two years or year when I look at all the rejections <laughs> that I've sent out uh, <laughs> to founders and just, you know, look at the, the CEO's name and then look up the email. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, well, reworks, yeah, that uh, can be painful a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but I, it was like I didn't uh, have any chance to invest. So if I would have started a mm. bit earlier then possibly so yeah i don't have that those kind of okay. nightmares yet <laughs> yet okay <laughs> they will come don't worry <laughs> i know i know i know right. so many so people like who have these yeah. stories so yeah <laughs> very good definitely definitely want, want to hear them out <laughs> but there is um so there are two last questions basically the first is uh, like, what is your favorite book and why? And this is uh, from our mutual uh, interview uh, we did in the in the past, which I really enjoyed, and uh, I really liked this uh, this question. So, so what's your favorite favorite book uh, and, and why is that? Yeah, I've been thinking about this once in a while as well. Um, I think it's getting to a point where I'm more keen on reflecting on the the books that talk about like how uh, how you can live a better life um, mm -hmm. so ryan holiday's stillness is the key has i think the the best uh, the best stuff for me personally mm -hmm. uh, where i am in life where it's so much about hey you've done so much uh, stuff in your career uh, a lot of interesting stuff then what <laughs> like mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, and his book is really good at like bringing like balance into life so stillness is the key by Ryan okay. Holiday okay nice well and in that case we have our bonus segment <laughs> which I came <laughs> up with which is a like a um, set of multiple questions and you need to answer in like uh, one or two seconds. So I didn't share this uh, in be uh, like beforehand. So you don't know what I'm going to ask, ask but it's, it's very simple. So if I ask like, okay, so what's your favorite color, blue or yellow? Yes. You say blue, okay. So so let's, let's do that. Uh, so where do you play games? It's, uh, it's mobile or console? Mobile. Uh, do you prefer books or movies? Books. Um, what's more important for um, the founders, writing or, or podcasting? 
writing. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and uh, and two last questions. Uh, next game or Supercell? What would you choose? Next game or Supercell? What? choose for what <laughs> just uh, you know whatever if uh, if you are if you hear these two um two companies and what uh, what would you prefer i mean for example joining let's say joining i mean you you, you found it's next game so it doesn't next games yeah <laughs> okay okay and uh, and the last one that's a tricky one so so what's uh, what's more important uh, elite game developers or uh, or the the syndicate elite game developers nice okay <laughs> okay perfect <laughs> that's it <laughs> man you put me on the spot there but yeah it's yeah good. <laughs> <laughs> i'd say you know we we need to have a little bit of fun uh, and obviously we will have uh, fun next week uh, when we are in istanbul i'm looking forward to to meet you in person yeah. Uh, until that happens, thank you very much for coming uh, and then sharing all the all the knowledge with me and with uh, with the rest of the listeners. Thanks. Thank you, man. Thanks, Mate. This was fun. Nice. See ya. Bye. You. Bye. Okay. One second. Uh, my wife just texting me that there is a delivery man in the, <laughs> the doors. <laughs> You give me a second, I will just cut it out. And just he she's just taking care of the baby, so uh, I will be right back. Give sure. me a second. No <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no problem, man. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Good, good. Hopefully you get some good stuff. Yeah, it's most probably something for my daughter. Uh, <laughs> usually, she orders a lot of stuff uh, for like clothes. Uh, mm. So, <laughs> it's, yeah. unfortunately, it's nothing for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we don't need anything when we have our, you know, gadgets already. Yeah, that's true. That's true.